working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hello, everybody. This is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Billy Freeman. Native of Garland, Texas, Billy grew up around local Opry houses, and by the age of 12, took over the job as house drummer for the Garland Opry House and performed every Saturday night. This experience put Billy on the fast track to becoming an extremely competent player and in 2012 beat out over 5,000 other drummers to make the Guitar Center Drum Off Grand Finals. This led to his gig with Neil McCoy and in 2013 he moved to Nashville after successfully auditioning for Dustin Lynch and has been touring with him ever since. We all love vintage gear and I bet you know someone that owns an old Les Paul or maybe a 56 Fender Strat that never leaves the home and the question is, Why do we love this gear? It looks cool. It gives you that warm, handcrafted tone and often brings a unique vibe to the music. Of course, it has its limitations, and if we're talking drums, we run into problems like its fragility, limited tuning. So where am I going with this? Well, once again, I went back out to KHS America in Mount Juliet, Tennessee to spend some time with some vintage gear. I'm talking about the Sonar Vintage Series Kit. I had seen and heard these at Summer Nam, but now I had a little one-on-one with these beautiful drums. Some specs you should know that make these drums uh, a modern vintage kit. The shells are that hand-selected premium German beach shell with rounded bearing edges. Keep in mind, this comes from the same forest of beechwood trees that were used in the manufacturing of sonar drums from the 1960s. The recreated teardrop lugs are a big deal. They look and feel just like the original, but now it has Sonar's exclusive tune safe system. In other words, they stay in tune. There are many beautiful finishes you can choose from, like the Vintage Pearl and my favorite, the Red Oyster. It looks, sounds, and feels like a vintage kit, but maintains the quality and reliability of a modern kit. You could really call this a modern vintage kit. So go to us.sonar.com to learn more about the Vintage Series and find a dealer near you. To find out more about this podcast and other recordings we've done, go to workingdrummer.net. You can find all of our episodes, one to almost 100, which is coming up at the end of this month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and a review. That helps us grow. Find us on all the social media like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So let's get to it. Here is Billy Freeman. So what's going on? How was your year? What's What happened this year as far as was anything um, groundbreaking um, that Dustin was involved with um, this year? Yeah, he had a great year this year. We really built the show up a lot this year we we added another bus and a semi and mm-hmm. now we're uh our set's a lot bigger moved into like the middle slot um okay so you know that's a big jump we've been doing the the opening thing for you know the four years i've been with him you know okay and uh to which is good you know we we've been you know lucky enough to be with some really great you know people we st- when I started with him, we were out with. Uh, shortly after I started with him, we went out with Keith Urban. We got to watch McHugh. Yeah, for a year. yeah. What a slouch. And yeah, yeah. That guy, <laughs> you know, asshole. But he, <laughs> he uh, no, he uh, 
he was great to watch. He's he's not the way he plays when you watch him play. It's not what I would expect to see with what I heard. Mm, you know what way? Mean? And just uh, he gets the sounds out of the drums a certain way, and it's the way he does it. It doesn't look like I'm used to seeing guys play, or just with the the way his hands move. It's a very unique thing, but he gets a certain sound out of the mm-hmm, drum mm-hmm, that way, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. You know? Yeah, and yeah. it was just really cool to see that up close. After seeing him play, was there something that affected the way you played during that time? Um, because I'm I'm guessing this was around 2013, yeah. when you first moved to yes. Nashville. So um, this was a new, yeah, it, thing. it definitely had me experimenting with my snare drum tone uh-huh. and uh, just everything, yeah. you know, and and kind of questioning. You know, I was playing smaller cymbals, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I think I need to get, like, some 20s because <laughs> those sound really good, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of things like that. Man, I, we went to uh, the Vince Gill, Amy Grant show the other night yeah. the, at the Ryman, their yeah. Christmas thing. Uh-huh. And uh, Greg Moreau was playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it was beautiful. There is mm-hmm. no tension at all mm-hmm. in his playing. I mean, and everything just looks effortless. It yeah. was, and, you know, nothing really like, nothing he did got in the way of anything ever. Mm-hmm. Everything was completely appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, you see him play, and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's why, you know. <laughs> it's a perfect word, man, that describing his playing, beautiful. It's, yeah. It's, it, it is, is effortless, it's beautiful, and he is he's a, a, a beautiful dude, man. He yeah. is really a sweetheart. Yeah. And uh, did you, have you ever had a chance to talk to him? I have not. He 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 would he's very approachable. Yeah. And um I'm just a huge fan. Yeah. And when you meet somebody that you're a fan of their playing and they turn out to be super cool. Mm-hmm. Then it's just like it's a reminder that wow, I'm even more of a fan now. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And Greg's that way. Man, that's cool. Yeah, that's good to know. I'm, I'm, that's that's played on a lot of you know the record because I grew up you know loving the '90s country thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of where I came from. And he played on all the stuff that I would you know yeah would you know give a second listen to and mm-hmm. you know go out and buy the record and mm-hmm. because the drumming was so cool on it right you know? right and then and, discover later yeah that. exactly years and years later that it's like you know four or five guys you know that yeah. doing all of that stuff and and then you start to figure out like you hear certain things you're like oh yeah that's probably Paul Lime yep. or mm-hmm. you know that's definitely Lonnie Wilson. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's some signature things for sure, uh, from for sure. from those players, and I think that that's really important. It just shows that I mean, your ears are becoming attuned to what works and what producers are picking, and mm-hmm. what you know. Yeah. That then that that creeps up in in other styles and other drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I hear that. It's definitely Matt Chamberlain because I hear that fill all the time. And sometimes I'm fooled because sure. a lot of these players 
have such a strong influence mm-hmm. that you have this new generation of players that are coming in mm-hmm. that, like the new David Bowie record, the first time I heard that, I thought, that's Matt Chamberlain. Nope, it's not. Mark, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. And that's great, it's, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, Mark's another player, man, that is just, you know, I, I saw him at the Blue Whale with his beat music thing yeah. in L.A., and man... He's another dude that's in a, in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, effortless kind of. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it's it's interesting uh, that you spend a lot of time uh, kind of honing your skills in Texas and doing yeah. some country music because, or doing a lot of country music yeah. in Texas because a lot of us did, don't grow up on country. We come to Nashville for those of us that do move to Nashville. Sure to make a career um it's a new thing for us mm-hmm. um where i'm interested in kind of your story because you were playing country music you were playing in an opera house you mm-hmm. grew up working and learning probably a lot of this material mm-hmm. um through some of these things that we'll talk about and then you come to to the place mm-hmm. where a lot of it is produced and you've already indicated, okay, how do I adjust my snare tone, mm-hmm. my cymbal size? Mm-hmm. I went through the exact same thing. Yeah. But I grew up playing rock and jazz in Ohio. Sure. But again, cymbal size changed, stick size changed, mm-hmm. snare tuning, all that stuff changed. Yeah. Um, so to go through that, I want to talk about, you're from Garland? Yes. Texas? Yes. So... Uh, you started young. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, my my parents uh, got involved in the Garland Opry at that time. I think it was called the Big G Jamboree. Yeah, and my mom volunteered up there, and I would hang out while the the bands would practice during the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, then on Sunday, my mom and some other women would go up there and clean the place up, and that was you know the drums were like the only thing that you know i couldn't get the guitars to work i didn't know what to plug in and uh with the drums there were some sticks there so Mm -hmm. um and one of the guys one night saw me kind of messing around and told my mom you know hey you should you should get him some lessons because he's he can kind of play yeah how old were uh, you four at that time good lord and yeah (laughs) so when i was five i got my first drum kit and uh you know started taking lessons from uh the drummer that was in my mom's band. Okay. And uh, in the lessons then, you know, he I would go over to his house, and he he laid a bunch of records on me right away. He, he like, it was uh, a Doobie Brothers record, um, Little Feet, Waiting uh, for Columbus, um, and some Zeppelin. I mean, it was just a few, a few things like yeah. different things. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'd go over there, and he'd say, "Hey, what do you want to jam on?" And you know, we'd sit down and play. He would just like crank cassettes through a couple of techniques, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a big double bass Pearl export that we would just, you know, and then, you know, after a couple of years, um, when I was eight. Uh, he turned me on to like Steve Morse, okay, and uh, the Dixie Dregs and that whole thing, and then uh, kind of got started on the whole 
double kick, double kick, yeah, you know, deal. And uh, I was really into that thing for a long time. The Steve Morris music, like really, or just uh-huh. instrumental guitar music, or like rock and jazz, yeah, you know, that kind that, of thing. like around eight or nine. Yeah, or yeah, like, that yeah. was like, Jeez. and I had it like I have some of these like elementary school things they give you like what's your favorite color what's your favorite music and i was like steve morris you know weekend overdrive was like my favorite song <laughs> and uh, that's great but uh and the wiggles yeah yeah <laughs> yeah wiggles uh and you know but it was never i was never pressured to do it yeah it was just always it's here if you want to do it mm-hmm. you know and i know i would go you know you know, maybe a week without touching them. And mm-hmm. then one week I'd play drums every day. Yeah. And, but the music was always really, you know, I listened to it all the time. And uh, then getting into middle school, I uh, got turned on to Rush. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone, I think I was at Brooke May's Music, and I was looking for a drum set solo to learn. And uh, <laughs> the guy was like, well, you need to get exit stage left and listen yeah, to that. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I bought the cassette yeah, and uh, yeah. came home with that. And mine was blown. You know, yeah. it was, you know, kind of like hearing Zeppelin, you know, for the first time, like a right. whole lot of love, like that whole yeah middle section blew my mind when I first heard that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, it was the same thing with, with Rush, that whole, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is what I'm into, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I had and then, you know, from there it got into you know, I I started learning how to read music in middle school. Were you still taking lessons from the teacher? I stopped taking lessons from him when I was 8. Okay. Um and I just kind of, you know, was into I think they tried to get me to learn how to read music at that point and mm-hmm. it was just not you know, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, then when I got into middle school, started learning how to read. Yeah. And getting, and I wanted to do it at that point, you know. Right, yeah. And um, and then, you know, around middle school was the time that I started playing at the Opry every Saturday. So we would rehearse on, it was Wednesday or Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven, we'd go like 7 to 10. And... uh and the show was on Saturday. We would rehearse before the show, mm-hmm. starting at three, and rehearse until six or so. And then the show started at eight, you know, that kind of thing. And it was every week. There would be like 12 guests that would each sing a couple of songs. And, and so it was new material every week? Yeah. So we would just kind of like, the guests would come up for rehearsal, mm-hmm. and we would run all of their songs a couple of times, maybe. Usually just one time. You know, we'd run through it. Mm-hmm. If they were good, go to the next song, run through it. And we had charts for everything. Um, and they were actually... They were like... They weren't really uh, schooled musicians, so they were using, like, letter charts. They were, like, writing out the... You know, so... If a song was in a different key, yeah. they had a different chart for it. Sure, you know? sure, sure. And uh, so there were a lot of charts <laughs> flying around. And uh, what were but, the drum charts like? Were were you just using I would, what everyone else was using? Yeah, I was using mm-hmm. what everyone else was using. And then, uh, and you know, until I was, 
I think 16, 17 years old, I started working with a different group of musicians that were also doing an Opry um, north of town. Okay. And those guys used number number charts. That was the first time I saw number oh, okay. charts. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, this is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, I'd been reading like drumline stuff, so I I knew notation. Yeah. You know. And if you're familiar with that, I mean, it's pretty idiot proof. Yeah. Know? Sure. Um. So yeah, I, you know, so I was pretty comfortable with that for a few years before I started doing sessions and that sort of thing. Okay. Um. With those guys and. uh but yeah, man, I mean, it just, uh, I I didn't really take many lessons, drum set lessons, after eight years old. Okay. Um, and I think it just getting into the music that I was into at that young age, like, mm-hmm. if, you know, and then I got exposed to, there was another guy that, uh, that I met in town that was just a super drum nerd, you know, <laughs> and and he had just tons of videos in yeah. his rehearsal room, uh-huh. and uh, I'd go over there and hang out with him, and and every time I hung out, he would give me a, a VHS to take home. Yeah, hey man, check this out. Yeah, and uh, I remember like he had the Buddy Rich VHS, yeah. you know, and I saw that you know saw Vinny for the first time, and um. And that that's when I've you know found all of those guys it was those videos and like the Buddy sure. Rich shows you yeah know? yeah and uh, so then you know I started you know well okay who did Steve Smith play with mm-hmm. okay who did you know who's Vinny playing with and it mm-hmm. just opened up you know you, you start figuring out that all the really great players that you like worked together at some point on something yeah you know yeah. or you know. And then you realize that everybody that you love played with Steely Dan <laughs> you know, at some point. Right. So I got really into Steely Dan. Uh, but man, I had the the progressive-y, like, you know, I had my dream theater fra- phase mm-hmm. um, all the way through high school. And then just out of high school, I'd met this guitar player in town and uh, when I was pretty young, you know, like 16. Mm-hmm. And he was the first guy I met that could play the Dream Theater type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away by it. And I loved I was in a band with him. Yeah. So I was I was just thrilled. It was like, man, this guy's great. He's a yeah. really good player. Yeah. And uh and he like made fun of me for liking Dream Theater. <laughs> and he's like he's like, Yeah, man, I, I was into it too. He's like, but I'm really digging, you know, Steely Dan now. You need to check them out. Yeah. And uh, he gave me uh, a CD now um, of a decade of Steely Dan. Yes, that record. Yeah. And uh, he's like, "Man, give it a listen. You're not gonna like it." He's like, "But listen to it again." And uh, <laughs> I like that. I like. It. You're not gonna like it, man. Because <laughs> yeah. trust me, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like and, a complex painting. Yeah, and and he know? was right, man. I listened to it and I was like, I really don't see anything special about this. You know that. Uh, I remember Vince Kill said something the other night. He said, "Sounds like martinis." <laughs> Sounds like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I when you're coming from like the yeah, you know, yeah, and that's what turns you on, and then you're Babylon Sisters for the first time. You're like, uh, all right, I totally get it because we're listening kind of from the top down. Yeah, the way most of the public listens to music, they hear the melody first, and as young drum geeks, yeah, we're going right there. Yeah. You know, to all the color. Yeah. And the subtlety gets lost sure. on young ears. Mm-hmm. 
And it's, but I think I don't want to get too far from the fact that it just amazes me how little private instruction you had beyond that time. But it, 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 it sounds to me like the listening that you were exposed to, the type of music you were exposed to very early on. Mm-hmm. And again, you're getting ready to be a father. And I can tell you that that brain development within yeah. the first few years, whether it's language and mm-hmm. music and cognitive skills, it's so amazing. And you are a super sponge. And it yeah. sounds like you got tapped right oh, at that important time for When life. I first... The first couple of before I started the gig uh, at the Opry when I was really young, maybe a year or two before they let let me start doing it, mm-hmm. which was a big deal for them because the the other dudes in the band were in their forties, mm-hmm. like we're not we're not letting this twelve year old, you know, <laughs> look, it's he's your son, that's great, you yeah. know, and uh. So they let me. They would. I think the guy didn't show up for uh, one of the rehearsal nights, and I was there. So I played and played pretty well. But man, I got the worst stomach ache ever because I was so nervous about mm-hmm. playing with all those guys. And that I heard Victor Wooten. I saw this video of him talking about. Music is a language. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, what if when you were learning to speak, you could only talk with other babies? And, mm. you know, you'd be 20 before you figured out how to form a sentence and, yeah. and intelligently. Yeah. He said, but that's not the case. He said, you know, you're able to talk with people right away that have a strong grasp of the language. Yes. And that's not the case with musicians. Yeah. You know, lots of times you're playing with other people that, maybe at the same level as you. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good thing when young players have the opportunity to work with, you know, players that are keeping them on their toes. Totally. And they really feel that. And some people I think don't, uh, I don't know if it's just they don't have the self-awareness or whatever, but I always had the attitude. That's what kept me in Dallas until I was 30 mm-hmm. um, was because I always felt like uh, – the Nashville, you know, surely the Nashville guys are just next level, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And I should stay in town for a while and make sure I'm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. really good before uh, before I make that leap, Yeah, you know. Because mm-hmm. – and then you get out here and you realize, yeah, there are those guys that are next level players, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people here that didn't have the same standard – Um, that, you know, I felt like the people that, uh, I ended up surrounding myself with musically in Dallas Mm -hmm. held themselves to a certain standard. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's lacking here, but there are just, it's the town's flooded with a lot of people that, that maybe, you know, and it's Maybe it's not their fault, you know. Dallas is a very competitive town musically. You know, there's there's less opportunity uh, in yeah. probably a place like Dallas, despite its size. Yeah. But musical opportunities, and so competition, I imagine, is fierce. And I know with the school there and everything like that, yeah. there is no lack of talent. Yeah, at all. Yeah. And you can you know you can head up north forty five minutes and 
and you know, I was I'd go up there and catch Ari Honig clinics and mm. anybody that would come through, yeah. you know, North Texas. I would I'd yeah. go up there and see him play, and and that's what you know. That's humbling. You know, it just makes you. Know, you it always will make you feel like I'm not ready. I understand. Uh, I, I felt more. the same way too, and yeah. and it's it's. I was about 29 when I moved here. Mm. Uh, went through the same thing. Um, yeah. And Columbus is another one of those towns that is not lacking in talent, but mm-hmm. the competition is fiercer because they're just it's a smaller music scene. But about Nashville, I can tell you this: there's that kind of that parallel between the Dream Theater versus Steely Dan yeah. thing, where when you see Greg Morrow play, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I get it. Yeah. There's something about his playing that is so musical and powerful that maybe a young player isn't going to recognize right off the bat. Yeah. Like, um, you know, somebody that's doing something like really insane yeah. around the kit. Mm-hmm. So there's that and, and your experiences with seeing guys like Chris McHugh. Mm-hmm that this is the level that I knew Nashville had. Yes. That I see. Mm-hmm. But related to what you are saying before about your expectations sometimes not being what they were, uh, mm-hmm. when I was getting ready to move to Nashville, I had a handful of friends from Columbus that had already moved down, and I would talk to them on the phone from time to time and get updates to what they were doing before I moved down. And I was going through a really frustrating period uh, working with some musicians in Columbus that just didn't seem like they were pulling their weight Mm -hmm. and weren't getting at it the way I thought they should and and not working as hard as as I thought I was, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to my friend Chris, and I was like, you know, I just, I'm I'm getting, excuse me, I'm getting sick of this town. I'm ready to go to a place like Nashville where everybody takes things seriously. Yeah. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, uh, he goes I, that's nice that you say that. He goes, but you know what? There are fuck-ups down here. Mm-hmm. There are people that don't care. There are people that uh, are just as unprofessional down here as there are. This isn't the panacea. This isn't, Yeah, you know. So, yeah, you have to, you have to navigate mm-hmm. any town it's there's no guarantee yeah. that oh this is there's too many stereotypes mm-hmm. i guess about things um and right now we're going through this you know insurgence of of tons of people moving here in the last yeah. five years yeah. um so and you being one of them <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i'm just clogging the system <laughs> no no way it's a uh, no uh you know i and i think I think a lot of guys take, uh, you know, they see, which you know, Rich does a great job with his drummers weekend. Yeah, Rich and, Redmond. And, yeah, and mm-hmm. his 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 program and everything, yeah. and and I think sometimes people see it as like, if I follow all of these steps, that will get me a gig. Yeah, and the playing sometimes gets kind of left to the wayside, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're so focused on. I got a network. I got a wallet chain. I got to have, you know, I and it's just I they have this thing, you know, that they they're under the impression that if they do this and this and this and this, yeah. they're going to get a gig and that the playing 
I don't know. I just, there isn't a focus on the playing as much. But or, you're not going to get a gig by hanging out in your practice room either. Yeah, that's true. That's very you know? true. And the, and the thing is, is like I say all of that, and at the end of the day, the playing really isn't it's i mean it's maybe half of what it is yeah, because yeah. you know there there have been i've worked with plenty of great players that were that just didn't work you know traveling mm-hmm. with them or working with them all the time even if you're not on the road it's, a, it's just it a is gig. a balance and you know it's funny because we talk a lot about I, I and this is good this is good that you're bringing this up because i feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about you know your playing is just a part of it but personality being able to travel together mm-hmm. we've touched upon these ideas a lot mm-hmm. in this podcast but um it's this is a good time to refocus i mean you're yeah. right there it, it it's it's well, those it's, things are they're they're important but but i think people confuse the the yeah playing is just part of it yes playing is just part of it but that part of it has to be mm-hmm. up here i mean yeah, you have to yeah. just be one of the best players you mm-hmm. know or it should be that way you yeah know? yeah and, and i i think a lot of times you see bands that suffer that and i just wonder why you know, why are you putting up with this? And you see, well, okay, well, they're a great guy. Yeah. But, man, there are just so many people here that, yeah. you know, need gigs that maybe, I don't know. So let, just, me, let me ask you this. Now, I don't know a lot of Dustin's music. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see you play about four years ago, five years ago at the Idaho State Fair. I was playing for a week on the side stage with the band I was okay. working with. And was that with Neil or with Dustin? It was with Dustin. Okay, right on. And um, I walked over to the main outdoor thing, the jam-packed, you know, you guys were doing the concert. Mm. And um, I don't know a lot of new country, but I wanted to see, okay, what's what's going on with this? What's the audience like? What are they, sure. what are they doing? Mm-hmm. And I remember you had a blue kit, yeah, five-piece kit. And you're playing, and uh, so of course I was watching you, and I watched about a song and a half, and and nothing that you did was like crazy insane. Like good player playing the song, it's you know pretty easy song, but I was more almost interested in the audience, yeah. age group, what they were into, what Dustin was doing, the kind mm-hmm. of music, and as a drummer, of course I was watching you a bit as well, and I was like, all right, I got it, yeah. And I and I left, and then I've seen you on TV, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know this guy. Watch a little bit more and stuff like that. But his music, tell me if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem that style as a genre doesn't seem to demand maybe some of the things that I know that you can do. Sure, yeah. So have I'm trying to tie in what you're talking about, like the level of playing. Yeah. that you bring to the table. It's funny. How is that not wasted, and how has maybe the band... I know the band recognizes what you do and gives you those outlets on stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, um... How has that changed since you took over? It, um... It's funny. Uh, Kevin Murphy was just talking about this the other day. He was giving Donnie Marple a hard time because he said, you're working at about 3% on your gig, <laughs> you know, <laughs> of, of what he's capable of. Yeah. And, but I think that's, you know, that's necessary, mm-hmm. you know, with anything. It's like, you're not running your car, yeah. you know, 
getting around town at like it's max what it's capable of it's, right you know you could do 100 if you wanted to but you never do yeah. you know mm-hmm. and um so i think that's you know yeah everyone should be overqualified yes definitely yes um and it's uh and if you're not you know you need to if you're having a hard time with it every night or it's you know touch and go it's like you never know what you know then there's an issue, you yeah, know? Right, right. And, and I know there are people out there like that. That's man, I, you know, tonight I just didn't play right or, you know, whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, man, we should kind of be at a level where, yeah, we can give ourselves a hard time, but mm-hmm. cause I know Kevin Murphy's a perfect example because mm-hmm. I was out with him for a year mm-hmm. and we became pretty good friends. Mm-hmm. He would come off the stage and, and feel bad about what he did. Mm-hmm. And it would make me sick because I was just, you know, loving everything about what he just did, uh-huh. but it should you should hold yourself to that higher standard. Yeah, yeah. Like he knows that maybe it could have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. From, you know, he knows what he could do, but I'm not hearing it. You know, yeah. and I know he's he's told me he's like, man, you know, I, if you're wavering at all, I'm not hearing it. Yeah. But I can hear, you know. Well, I know what you're saying. It's like if you're if you're struggling to get through the gig, there's that. There's one thing. If you're yeah. if you're being uh, critical, knowing that you can do better, that, those are two different things. I know, sure. I know what you're saying. Yeah, and sure. and I think, yeah, the, there are some players that are that struggle because, and and you can hear it, and yeah. and that, that I think is an issue, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but if you're super overqualified, which he is, Donnie. I mean, mm-hmm. all my close friends are. Mm-hmm. You know, all the guys are playing the drummer jam. I mean, yeah. they're up there playing stuff that you could never get away with, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, you should you should definitely be overqualified. And that's great. That's uh, uh, And Ben Caesar even talks about the use of the car analogy. You know, it's it, it you, you can get to work in a Ferrari, but you take your yeah. Toyota Camry. Yeah. And it gets you there. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, that's that answers my question. I'm not to put you on the spot with uh, your artist gig necessarily, yeah. but but uh, no, that's really important because yeah. um, that's cool. Tell me about the scene in Dallas. For most of the time that I was in town, I was working with about seven or eight artists. Okay, pretty pretty regularly. And um, what what kind of music were you doing? Mm, everything from like straight ahead jazz to uh you know rock bands steely dan yeah (laughs) (laughs) there was a steely dan cover band called naked lunch that i always wanted to work with but there was a a dude that had that nailed down so but uh no uh yeah man uh a lot of country yeah you know there are a lot of the uh that's the area that leanne rhymes was from Mm -hmm. every girl wanted to be Leanne Rhymes for mm-hmm. a while so their daddies would and a few guys for, too yeah yeah <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> they would you know they'd pay for them to put together a band and and that was I met so many singers that was the great thing about the Opry at the end when it was all said and yes, done yes so many singers had come through and then they would see me out somewhere playing yeah hey I need a I'd like to get out and sing. I was like, yeah, I know you're a great singer. I'll, I'll get my guys together and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll do something. And that's what, you know, I ended up putting a lot of bands together mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, for different artists. And, uh, but I think I was just after I'd turned 21, um, 
I kind of I was exposed to the like the jazz scene or like I say jazz, you know, uh, I would do straight ahead gigs where it was like brunch mm-hmm. standards softly, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, these were like at bars, you know, on Monday nights, and it was loud. Yep, you know. Herbie stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, steps ahead and, you know, a lot of... Uh, so more fusion, less bebop? More, or? Yeah, more fusion kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it, it's where... Uh, well, Monday night, for a long time, it was uh, Jason Thomas. He goes by JT. Um, he's he's subbed with Snarky Puppy a few times. Okay. He's okay. a Dallas guy. Uh-huh. Um, and he plays on... Uh, Mark Letiri's records. Um, okay. He's the guitarist with Snarky Puppy, but they're all from that area. So he was doing a Monday night thing with Bernard Wright um, and the bass player with Snarky and the okay. band leader, Mike League. Um, and it was, you know, it was it was different from week to week. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they'd have a guitar player, but they were doing, you know, the same tunes. You know, I I got turned on to like actual proof, that Herbie tune, you know. Yeah. And they would just, you know, it, it. I realized like, wow, these sick fusion tunes are like standards for these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, right. And I just wasn't hip to it. And uh, and Sput, Sirite, uh, uh, the guy from uh, the plays in Snarky Puppy, the drummer. Okay. Um, he invited me out to to play one night. He was like, "Man, come out and sit in." Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and I did, and then I was just like hooked. I had to, you know, I was there every week and and met a whole different group of people that uh, that all were just amazing players. A lot of them were from the Dallas Arts Magnet School. Okay. And uh, these were a lot of the guys that were playing with like Erica Badu mm. and uh, Roy Hargrove. Wow. Um, and so yeah, I started getting turned on to that and more the like. Music with a lot of like backbeat snaps and claps uh-huh, and that you know uh-huh. just real heavy like R and B jazz uh-huh. you know and man I remember the first time I did a gig with like some some players that were hip to that and you know the bass players playing way behind everything that I was doing and I started slowing down because I was super self conscious because I you know I'm yeah. used to doing country and just yeah right. And he starts laying it back, and I'm thinking, I'm oh, I'm Russian. Like, he yeah. wants me to play, so I start slowing down. And then, you know, a friend, you know, had to come to me and say, hey, man, you know, you need to just stick with it. Like, you know, stay firm with your time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be laying it back, and it's, that's how you achieve that feel. You know, yeah. you can't slow down. You got to just – and – yeah, learning how to cop those feels, yes, you know, yeah. and and seeing these guys do it week to week and learning mm-hmm. like the little, you know, tricks to get certain sounds out of your snare drum to make it sound like, you know, hand claps or, you know, whatever. Wow. And, you know, I'm looking at this guy like I hear the sound he's getting. And I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> and I'd never heard anything like that before. And uh, so, yeah, that was... Uh, it turned me on to a whole nother side of things, you know, yeah, yeah. because that, that is completely different from the dream theater thing, which is yep. completely different from the country thing. Yep. And, uh, and it was just 
not in my vocabulary. So mm. I wanted to become friends with these guys. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Cedric Moore is a guy that mm. is just a great player. He plays with a band called the Funky Knuckles. Okay. And uh, a friend of mine, Wes Stevenson, started that group mm. with uh, Caleb McCampbell. They're all just amazing players mm-hmm. that are stupid talented that have devoted their life and their their craft and they're they're just there's so much integrity there because they could have gone off and played with or done what i'm doing you know mm-hmm. and played with an artist and doing that but they mm-hmm. they want to make their own music yeah so they're willing to go out and do these tours um you know i i talk about snarky puppy a lot because those guys came from you know denton dallas and you know, they moved yeah. up to new york but I know Mike was broke, you know, and he was putting everything he had into that band and going out there and not making anything, you know, or or next to nothing. Mm -hmm. But he just kept at it and kept at it, and they caught some traction. Right. They're doing really well now. Yeah. And um, it's just really admirable that these guys do that. And, you know, I'm glad someone does, you know. (laughs) Anything about your gig as uh, the musical director and and drummer at the Cowboys? We had a, a big list of songs that we, of, that we all knew, you know. And I every, played this place a couple of times. I, yeah, yeah, you know, every week we would, you know, I'd give them three or four songs to learn, mm-hmm. you know. And the challenge there is because you're playing, you know, your three sets every night, mm-hmm. three forty-five minute sets, I think is what it was, and so eleven or twelve songs, you know, and it uh it was a challenge to make it feel fresh every night yes. and like and learning how uh a set should flow you know because i was writing the sets every night and yeah. um and then learning that well that can't be it you have to have some cool transitions and as a drummer it's it's kind of easy to take the reins on that kind of thing um because i think we think Along those lines, especially we've got if tops you're... and bottoms of songs, man. We're yeah. starting, we're counting them off, yeah. we're ending them. So and you yeah. know, and and with you know, I was really into like metric modulations and that whole thing. So it's like I would think, well, if you know, if we're going from an upbeat tune to a, a kind of you know rocking little mid tempo thing, well, maybe maybe I could get there from here in a cool <laughs> way to make a cool transition. Or yeah, something. yeah, and. Uh, we did a lot of cool things like that, and uh, I got to build a band of you know all my friends. Yeah, and uh, it was a good you know three and a half years of that, um, mm-hmm. and you know that was my some of my first exposure to like national acts coming through, yeah, and and seeing how they did things, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's actually, you know, what led to the Dustin thing was that they had, uh, his management had come through with Justin Moore and, uh, Dustin saw the band. He was there with management and, and that he ended up taking my keyboard player and guitarist, mm-hmm. you know, and they, those guys moved to Nashville like a couple of years before I did. Okay. And it started with Dustin when he was really young. Yeah. And then I ended up going out with Neil, you know, okay. from there. But, Neil McCoy. But, yeah, but mm-hmm. that was that was the goal for me, you know, from a, a pretty young age. I didn't end up at Cowboys until I was 27. Okay. Um, but, you know, at, at 18, 19, 
you know, I knew that at that time they were playing like five nights a week. And I knew the guys there were making like, you know, two, three bills a night. Yeah. And I thought, oh, man, that like I wouldn't have to hustle and not know where my money's coming from every month. Right. And, you know, have this big calendar, you know, I would know. I would be able to – that part of my life I could relax. And I thought I can focus on doing more jazz stuff and things I want to do with sure, my friends. And sure, sure. I'd have the money part. Taking care but, but, of. But, but playing music to make the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. exactly. Yeah, what a yeah. concept. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it took a long time, you know, yeah. but because, uh, you know, people get a hold of those gigs and you want to hang on to them, you know, when it's that kind of deal. Because you get that along with the uh, playing in church, you know, is a big thing too. I always had a mm-hmm. Sunday morning gig, and uh, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> Sunday morning gig, but no, it, no, I like, get it, I get it, yeah, for and, sure. And but man, you know, I struggled with that too because it's like, you know, I wanted to, you want to go to church, you know, and do that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but I was going to church and getting paid for it, and it, yeah, some of it sometimes it didn't feel. I felt like, man, I need to take a break from this and go to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. not, not playing play. or doing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, for me, I played in. You know, Methodist church and you know mm-hmm. Baptists, and you know I even did a, a a Catholic kind of, which is weird to have big bands. I think in a Catholic, kind yeah, of thing. yeah, for sure. But uh, it's a cantata or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but it, you know, the denomination aside, you want to leave, or I want to leave, feeling uplifted, mm-hmm. and that was what was really interesting to me was the different messages that you know. You would get each Sunday from each different church, and yeah. and just the the general uh, feeling that you're, you're you leave with, you know, right. from from each place. And I, I definitely, you know, I ended up uh, you know playing at a church in Fort Worth, and and really liked the people and the mm-hmm. message every Sunday. Yeah. And then it was you know it was nice to be a part of that. Like, but again, I mean, I, churches are can be a place where people find music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 learn from it and grow from it. So I mean Well and that's that's the thing that's that it was another. really uh you know uh interesting to see because you know you see kids out there it might be the first time that they're seeing right someone play drums live. Yeah. You know, small kids and then they you know their parents take them up on stage and they want to and that was great to be mm-hmm. able to you know give a little kid drumsticks because that mm-hmm. was a I met guys when I was four or five years old that would not give me the time of day. It was like, get away, you're, you know, I got a gig to play. And then there were the other guys that took the time and let me hop up on their lap mm-hmm. and play their drums or whatever. And that meant the world to me. So yeah. I have to do that, you yeah. know, for, for kids when they're interested in it or they for take sure. interest in that. You for know, sure. you got to help nurture that. Um, but, yeah, that, man, the, the kids thing and uh, – like I said, we were looking at houses. Um, yeah, and I love your setup. And we're trying awesome. to to figure out like how I'm gonna get because I want a place where I can practice, yeah. but I also want a place where I can track, like you said. Yeah, and uh, it uh, because I feel like realistically, I might have ten, fifteen more years if I'm lucky mm. playing live. Hmm. You know, I, I really, I really feel that, you know, hmm. because when you're out there 
I go out on the road, every band I see, I don't see many guys 50 plus, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have to, you know, you have to make that transition to, you know, that's, I was just telling my girlfriend last night, I said, you know, we, I have to have a place where we can do this um, mm-hmm. because I have to start making a significant amount of money you know, laying down stuff, laying yeah. down tracks for people. And, right. Um, be- that was one of my questions is what, and, and I, I'm feeling that now because I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm older than you. So I, I'm definitely yeah. making that transition yeah. right now. And if you get, you know, there, there are the situations that like, you know, with older band, you know, like Charlie Daniels. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot or of Vince the guys Gill. that, yeah, a yeah. lot of the guys yeah. that mm-hmm. get these gigs that, you know, but, and, that's the thing is that you have to i have to be seen a little more in town and and doing things locally because it's just that part of of what i did in dallas you know i made a significant amount of money there playing sessions and i do zero here (laughs) i Mm -hmm. mean none Mm -hmm. um so i have to you know i do tracks for for friends of mine you know for fun and i'm not charging anybody anything yet Mm -hmm. um but I think it's the same. It's exactly. And I've had a lot of conversations with other guys in town about this, but I have the reluctancy to want to put myself out there as far as the recording stuff. Mm. And I have a lot of great gear and I know I can get a good sound out of what I'm doing right now at home. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, well, you know, I have 57s on my toms right now. I really want to get some 421s, <laughs> you know, and I and I should get a, a, a good snare pre and a kick pre, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and these things that I want to do. And then, you know, you have other guys like, you know, Hubert Payne's talking to me. And he's like, dude, do it. Just do it. Put yourself out. You have enough stuff. Your stuff sounds great. You know, go out there and mm-hmm. do it for people. And... And I just, you know, I had just a few months back kind of had this moment where I thought to myself, am I doing the same thing that I did by living yeah. in Dallas for 10 yeah. years? Yeah. And then I get here and realize that, oh, it's not, there, I, there isn't this huge gap between my abilities and the guys out here. Right. Um, right. And I, you maybe know. You, maybe you, you, you put this false pressure on yourself. Yeah. About things. And yeah, this false you idea. You compare, you, you know, when you're comparing your drum sounds to, you know, Lonnie Wilson's stuff, yeah, you know, that yeah. is done in a much nicer place with much mm-hmm. nicer equipment. Like, yeah. And I, but I think it's important to hold yourself to that standard. No, you're know, right. But, but you know, so when people are trying to do demos and they're just, you know, they're not going crazy over that kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. you know, and, uh, what would be completely acceptable to a, you know, a, a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, I would still feel like, well, you know, it could be better. Right, right. It's difficult. And, you know, it's fun. I struggle with the same thing and living in Columbus and and then taking the time there before I moved down here and friends moving down before me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. And it's like, I'm doing well here. I'm still... There's still so many drummers here in this town that are better than me. Do I want to go to a town where I know I would just be even more blown away? Yeah. But there are so many different factors we've talked about, and your playing is a big part of it, and personality and touring and stuff. But when you when you talk about recording, 
there's the ability to produce yourself mm-hmm. and and understand tone and understand touch mm-hmm. that is completely different than playing live mm-hmm. and there are players in recent years that have been making significant inroads in the session world that are really um, simple yet insanely tasteful players yeah. yeah, and know how to get that sound from the kick drum or know when to use the toms in a song or not or yeah. know when not to hit a crash cymbal. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before all the singers that you met and probably songwriters, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. that hired you in Dallas. Yeah. Same thing here. Yeah. Drummers aren't hiring you. Yeah. Yeah. That's Song- the thing. Songwriters and session, you know, and producers and engineers that can trust you to get that sound and that consistency and that tone, that holds as much weight as your ability. Yeah. to play good time and have a good pocket. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, that, you know, I my mom was a singer, you know. Okay. And um growing up when she would perform on the Opry, even when I I think starting when I was like 6 or 7, um when she would sing, she wanted me playing drums with her. So, I would go up there and play drums. And yeah, she wanted me to do it cuz I'm her son. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, she would always tell me that she felt way more comfortable when I was playing because she always knew where to cam- come in. Mm-hmm. And and I never really thought about it, but then when she told me that, at a very young age, I thought, oh, yeah, it's because I do that fill there yeah. that's on the record. And you hear that. Right. And, it, and it, I realized that really young that, all these singers that are coming on, mm-hmm. number one, you never know if they're going to come in at the right time. Yeah. So you have to be on your toes. Right. So I was always listening. So that made my ears better than a lot of guys. Because guys will just put their head down and I played the play. four bars at the intro. Yeah. I'm in the verse. He's not there. And they're just, you know, yeah. they'll shake their head and I'm right. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, fucker, yeah. well, that's the, you know. Yeah, exactly. The person up front is embarrassed right now because you just left them out, you know, Right. Hanging. That's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. And so that's been a thing. I feel like uh, I'm, I have a better understanding than, than a lot of people because I grew up with a mother that was a singer of making singers feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and really all that is is just, you know, people talk about it all the time and I do not want to get off into talking about playing for the song. <laughs> but, but that is, you know... You just have to set things up in any style of music. Yeah, you know, if you're yeah, playing yeah. big band stuff and you set up a big horn figure right before, it's right. the same thing mm-hmm. um, coming out of a weird bridge into where the singer comes back in. You know. Yeah, and that's and and you know, it's funny because I think that's glaringly obvious. I mean, that is like the yeah. nature of your of your role, and that's where it began. Mm-hmm. But as a but when you're playing modern mm-hmm. pop music. It's just yeah, you know, whether whatever the style, but pop, um, you know, Western pop music. Mm-hmm. Your role as a drummer is to support, is to play that supporting sure. role, and and you know, and you, and you don't. What's so funny is you know we like you know I play all the time with Dustin. We've played mm-hmm. you know thousands of shows. You know, yeah, yeah, and he. Uh, there have been a couple of times 
where he, you know, maybe thought it was his, he didn't know what it was. And that's the funny thing is that I'll, I'll play something a little different because that's the struggle, man. When you get out there and you, I have a buddy of mine here in town and he, he really wants a gig, mm-hmm. you know, that he's a dude that moved from town and he'd like to get on the road. And I almost envy him playing on Broadway a lot because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like, man, you get to play so much different stuff and you get to play what you want, you know, on a lot mm-hmm. of these gigs. Mm-hmm. And it keeps you fresh as a player, you yeah, know, it's like, yeah. man, once you get that gig that you want, like you're going to be playing the same 12 songs every night. Right. When you start out the same six or seven songs every night. Right. Because for the first four years, you guys were the yeah. opener for the opener. Yeah. yeah. So it's like six or seven songs is what you're doing. Yep. And that's, you know, and because yep. some of those opening slots are like 20, 25 minutes. Exactly. And if you're lucky, it's 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the struggle, like I was saying is, uh, to continually play appropriately and not get bored mm-hmm. and play something because it's you know that uh, the goal for me and and a lot of my friends you know you want to see make each other smile throughout mm-hmm. the night mm-hmm. i love nothing more than you know a player looking over mm-hmm. at something you do but the goal is to to be able to make people smile like that and react within the confines of what's appropriate yeah you know mm-hmm. and not throwing off your singer or whatever like i was saying i did that and he (laughs) i think he thought that uh it was his ears that were failing him or like you know and he looks he just glares at the monitor guy and you know comes to the talk back and i can't hear shit and you know he's all pissed because he just got he looked like an asshole out there you know and didn't come in right and i knew that I had played something a little different and didn't yeah. set it up. It was the fill I played was super deceiving and it was hip, I thought. <laughs> but when I did it and he came in wrong, I felt awful. Mm. But I'm not going to say shit. <laughs> you know, at yeah. that point, it's like, oh, sorry. You yeah. know, um, but you know, lesson learned. It's like, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to do stuff like that that's going to throw them off. Right, right. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they're not even going to realize that's what it was, and they'll think it's their fault. But mm-hmm. I knew it was mine, you know. And, I, and you know, I ended up coming to him after the show and, like, hey, man, played something a little different. Sorry if it threw you off. And he's like, well, I just couldn't hear myself. And, like, yeah, well. I but you've been working with him for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we so. have that. We're able to, yeah, you know, sure. and we've done enough shows where it's like, man, hey, you know, shit happens. Right, right. And, and we try to just, you know, make it as foolproof as possible, yeah. you know. This group I've been working with has been doing fewer shows, mm-hmm. for more fewer and shorter shows, as the money has gotten better, which is sure. nice. But as a player, mm. it's been a struggle. Sure, you know to and I wanted to ask you, um, you guys are moving, moving up now, mm-hmm. and you're you're getting longer sets, and mm-hmm. you're getting, which is awesome, and you're and so. You, you're going to have an opportunity to play more. Yeah. My struggle is how do you keep your chops together? That's a, that is something that I I haven't heard a lot of people talk about in any of these 
you know, I listen to podcasts all the time. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, working drummer, and I'd hit that. Mm-hmm. Or two of my yeah. favorites. But um, when you move up to that level, because uh, I just made my kit ridiculous. You know, I added another I kick saw drum. a video of it. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, it looks <laughs> and, awesome. You know, it's it looks like a Van Halen concert, you know, and, <laughs> and it... With our set, you know, our set's pretty big, and it just, it makes sense with the size of everything. It, I think it would look weird if my kit weren't big like mm-hmm. that. But uh, I uh, put the rack together during a week that we had before we went out on a tour um, that we had just set up at a sound, you know, I think it was SES or, you know, something like that. Okay, And uh, so... The lighting people are in there programming lights, and I come in to set up my rack, and it's completely dark, and they're doing stuff. So it's, I kind of just have to deal with that, and I put everything together. Well, I finally get everything built, and you, I mean, as you're building, you want to play a little bit to kind of make sure everything's placed right. Well, yeah. I couldn't do that because the lighting people were working. And this is at a rehearsal hall? Yes, but the main focus, they had our set our whole thing set up, but the focus was to program the lights. Okay. We're there to, you know, they, yeah. And so when I needed to, Hey, I need to play for a second. Okay. Well, we'll take 15 while you blah, blah, blah. Union break. Yeah. So I get 15 minutes, but man, I was, you know, I need a couple of hours or an hour and then make a couple of changes and then Mm -hmm. play a little more. And, Mm -hmm. but I never had that. And you don't get that. Yeah. Because who's going to unload a semi and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the time just isn't there for that. Mm-hmm. And so I got it put together pretty much, you know, and, and where I think everything should be. And then we go out on our first run and we get everything off the, the trailer and set everything up. Well, I can't play anything yep. where it is now because all the union people are back there and all the hands. Yeah. And you don't want to... Be right. playing a lot when they're, and uh, are there other acts? Are you sharing the stage at that? Point? Yeah. Uh, well, when we first this first uh, tour that we did with that setup was for the Chris Young thing. Okay. So Cassidy Pope was out with us. Um. So they roll us out, line check pretty much, and then they roll my kit back and they roll their stuff out. You know, there there just isn't the time. Nope. To play your kit at all. Because mm-hmm. I, f- you know, when they move it up there, well, there are people working around under you. And if you're playing your drums, you're an asshole. You yeah. Because yeah. those people's heads are yeah. right where your snare drum I is. Because I'm, know. my riser's four feet, you know, off the ground. But yeah, that was a, and, and the new kit being, you know, I grew up, like I said, playing a double bass kit. Um, so, but I haven't done that since I was eight, you know, regularly. <laughs> And yeah, I've always wanted that, but you get it, and you're like, "Oh, this is really different." Mm-hmm. And my hi hats right further over, sure, because I have three up now, and then I have another crash symbol. So now, instead of just having the couple of crashes here, there are three. So now it's like more of a decision, yeah, which makes things weird in the moment. Yeah, your brain. You, yeah, and you don't work. you don't realize that there's just that split second of indecision that fucks yeah. with you. Yeah, visually and, too, it changes. Yeah, things. well, yeah. and and that's the other thing is like the light show is nuts now for us, mm. and so I have these big strobes going off right when I'm about to hit something, or, <laughs> or or when I have that moment of indecision and everything goes black, and then light right before I'm about to hit it. Mm-hmm. 
it is just I've never had I, I've noticed myself tensing up, hmm. and which is no good, no, you know. No, and I'm fine during sound check, you know, yeah. and I'll kind of play around on the kid a little bit. But then when the show starts and the lights are on, yeah, and all the people are out there. I don't want to miss a symbol or nope. drop a stick or whatever. And I feel so uncomfortable on that kit because I haven't had time behind it Yeah, that I've stiffened up a little bit. Mm. And uh, so it's a struggle right now for sure. Like to, and I, I keep thinking, well, how am I going to, how do you fix that? Yeah. How do I get comfortable on a kit that I can never play? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, Any ideas? Yeah. You know, I've been, uh, call now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've I've definitely been uh you know working on some stretching before I go up now, you know, making sure I do a lot do of Do you that warm up before hands. you play? Um not really. I do some stretches, some okay. forearm stretches. But uh nothing that he plays has us coming out blasting. Okay. So the show kinda helps me warm up somewhat. I gotcha. I stretch beforehand. Okay. Um but you know, every once in a while, I, I'm always drumming. So it's like, and I have sticks back there. It all kind of beat around. But I don't have like a, a regiment that I go through. And I play see. eights or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember seeing some video when you were out with Kevin, and you guys were on the pad. Yeah, lot, yeah. You know, and that and, was really cool. Yeah. Remember one time you guys were playing like back and forth, like splitting up thirty seconds. They're like, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one hand. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> something that doesn't get talked about a lot but in all of your high pressure situations that you're going to be in if you're on tv yes you know what usually it's a backline kit yeah and you don't get to play on it for any amount of time really you get to do sound check you get to run the song one time Mm -hmm. and then they escort you off because those hands especially in la they're either one new york whatever they don't want you there banging drums while they're trying to set up stuff for work, and they'll tell you, you know? And and the other thing is, is that you want to be cool because you want to be asked back on these shows for your artist, you know? So it's, I don't want to be, be cool. <laughs> but, you know, you have to be as easy yeah, to work right. with yeah. as possible, yeah. and yeah. and that means not beating the hell out of your drums for whatever, you know, beforehand. And, and so you go to play these shows, and they – you see the host introducing you and, you know, you got this guy standing stage left and they point at you with yep. their eyes all wide and uh, you, you're just like, uh, you press, you know, and it's hard to not feel that pressure. Yeah. But you really have to learn how to get yourself in that, you know, don't sweat it. We've done this a million times. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm not comfortable on this kit, but, you know, I'm going to smile yeah. Yeah. and get through it. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it, every one of those big moments like that, which should be a fun thing mm-hmm. to go do. Maybe someday it will be, but for me, man, I get nervous, you know, before those things. I think that adds to the fun. I think as soon as it stops being a hundred percent nervous, you're like, it gets yeah. boring. I think those those that little rush. Yeah. And speaking of rush, um, it, it's so funny because it's like we follow our heroes and all these people we grew up on, and we see the videos and the hear the interviews and read yeah. about. Things and so so for example, you know all these things that we struggle with as working drummers mm-hmm. are very real, and yet it's hard for us to like we didn't see it this way, yeah. Because we see guys like Neil, 
with his extra drum set set up that he can shed on that mm-hmm. somebody set up for him before he has to go out and play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they want to spend a couple hours at Soundcheck, it's it's their show. Yeah. It's their thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our heroes we grew up following and listening to have their own stage. They have yeah. their own management. They have their people. They're at the top tier. Mm-hmm. And I know there are bands like you were talking about before, and there are there are bands that are establishing themselves, and artists mm-hmm. that are groups, whether it's Snarky Puppy or you know anybody that has their own group that can probably do that to a greater degree sure. than the scenario that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That a lot of let's just say for right now Nashville mm-hmm. and those that want to get into the touring scene. You are not the artist. Mm. You are uh, supporting the artist. But between you and the artist is management, is all this tech, and is all these people that are responsible for making the show happen yeah. without a hitch. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a difficult pill to swallow, but yeah, you, you, that's your role is to come in guns blazing yeah. without any preparation or very little. Oh, yeah. Well, and that, you know, you just start to think about that, you know, that's, I used to get made fun of when I was in Dallas for how much time I spent at the rehearsal hall because I would just be up there all day. And, you know, I remember I would play, uh, uh, what's that tune? Uh, Godwhacker, that uh, Steely Dan tune. And it's like, a, it, man. it's one of the Keith Carlock tracks, but it's just... You know, just all the way through. That's and yeah. I would just sit up there and do that over and over again, yeah, just trying yeah. to lock it in as much as yeah. I could. You know, and had you know months and months where it was just practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. That's why you do that because you get to a point where you're not able to do that anymore. And yeah, hopefully, you yeah. did enough of this back then to last yeah. you through. Yeah, when you get to the point where you're doing, you know, Kent Slusher's gig or whoever, mm-hmm. and you have. You can take two hours and or three hours and fuck the openers. So, you know they yeah. can do a line check. Yeah, but right. We want to play a little bit. Yeah, right. But you gotta you gotta wait till you get to that point. You yeah. gotta get through these years for sure. No, yeah, I, where I you're I the totally... opener and and, and yeah. some guys you know like Wally, uh, the guy that's playing for Cam. Um, I think, what is his last name? Wally Walgreen, I think. Um, he. Uh, He's amazing, and he takes you know every morning he wakes up and he sets his kid up, um, yeah, Walgren, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's, Wally Walgren. He okay. is such a great player. Awesome. I mean, he's got the brush thing and like, but he sits out. You know, he'll set up right behind the semi, over side stage, like on the loading dock in the corner. Uh huh. You know, at some of these festivals, and. Yeah, I woke up one morning and had my coffee and barely, you know, kind of looking around. And here's this dude, no shirt on, you know, uh-huh. long blonde hair, like totally hippie, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Just playing awesome shit, you know, and sounding great. And, and it's like, well, that's why, you know, that's why yeah. he is where he is, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he's just, he's another one of those guys like Ben Caesar, mm-hmm. you know, that is just 
always a student of drums and, yeah, and always trying yeah. to learn. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, man, I just love guys like that. that yeah. You know? No, I'm I'm with you, and and I think there's all different types. I mean, there's some people that are like, no, I don't really do this, or I listen, or I don't really practice much anymore at this point. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I do, and and I I respect that. Um, and they and especially if they sound great, I I can't say anything. Sure. And again, you you, you talk about a lot of this stuff being a head game. Uh, I struggle with that, you know, yeah. where um, I like to practice all the time. I, mm-hmm. I warm up before I play. You know, mm-hmm. I spend like 45 minutes with a pad. Yeah, I like to warm up before I sound check. You know, I'm one of yeah. those guys. But I, I realize that, and I've been in these situations where you just go and you play. And I'm like, that was fine. I didn't warm up. I didn't do anything. I didn't even play my own kit. Mm-hmm. That was fine. What is the big deal? So it's a balance. It's always a yeah. balance. But But that aside... Being a student of the instrument yeah. is a lifelong mm-hmm. uh, endeavor, yeah. I believe. You yeah. know? And I think that's what often sustains you. And it, and it separates you from the pack yeah. in a way that you you're truly You have to stay committed. inspired, you know? And so much of that's listening to music for me, yeah. you know? And I think that if you hear something... You know, that someone oh, does yeah, that inspires yeah. you to yeah. well i've i've got to learn how to do that yeah. because it's you know you see it in person and it mm-hmm. blows your mind you know that's well <clears throat> i just want to say that like we're coming upon our 100th episode here nice and um i've been playing for a really long time and i feel very fortunate but i i, I learn something every time i do an interview or i listen to Zach's interviews mm-hmm. um my co-host and uh, that's what excites me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of players like you are younger or a lot younger than me. Yeah. And I still walk away going, oh, that's insightful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you sure? little shit. <laughs> <laughs> About Dustin's gig, mm-hmm. your responsibilities. Do you run a click? Are you running tracks? Um, yeah, we run, uh, Ableton, you know, um, and that's what we're running, uh, any kind of click or tracks off of. Um, but then I use my S and I'm not, I'm triggering Ableton from a launch pad. A lot of people trigger it from their SPDSX. Uh Um, I like to use that for individual samples. Yeah. Uh, so if, on a lot of his tune, well, on a lot of anybody's pop country tunes now, the first verse or whatever yep. might be a loop kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And rather than sitting on my hands, I'll just play it. I'll mm-hmm. get the samples from the producer mm-hmm. and play it on the pad. And uh, then there's some things. Uh, uh, so launch pad, tell me about that. The launch pad is just, uh, I'll have, I think there are, you know, 24, 30 different uh, buttons. And yeah. You program each one for a song. I'll, uh, if we have any kind of vamp section, mm-hmm. I'll usually program a vamp click. And then, uh, you know, you, the bar before you want the tracks to start, you just hit the next button. Gotcha. And, you know, you start the song. Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot of them, we'll play you know, a band riff or whatever. And in the middle of the band riff, I'll hit the, to track, you know, to start the tracks. And then we, it segues into a song. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but kind of the way that I have that working, we're not tied to our transitions as much. Um, and it leaves, leaves us free to, because we don't have, you know, we don't have a set, you know, amount of time before the track comes in. I'll just start to track whenever. And, uh, it keeps it exciting for sure. Yeah, well, it's another. It's almost like you're playing another instrument. Oh, totally. But that stuff's and and how it's. It sounds like you put together samples for the. Yeah, um, um, from that. But I was wondering how involved you are in in that the programming, the programming and stuff. Um, well, we got together with Ben Jackson yeah. to uh, put together a track rig. So he put together the rig. Um, I'm familiar enough with Ableton to drag in all the stems. Mm-hmm. And if I need to make a click, I can create a click okay. and and make any kind of adjustments on there. I'm not great with making the edits to the stems in Ableton. Okay. I usually do it in Pro Tools and then, you know, drag in another stem. Okay. Um after I've edited whatever needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, cuz there've been some situations where We'll get a stem for, like, our new single, Seeing Red. We got the stems. It's the whole song. But then Dustin wanted to do a stop in the middle of it and then start again, Mm -hmm. right? you know, at at another point. But when we stopped, I couldn't just stop the tracks because he wanted the vocal delay to hang on. Mm -hmm. So I had to go in and make one where tracks stop, but the vocal delay keeps going. And... And then where we wanted to pick up the song, yeah. had to, you know, edit the tracks for that. And it's, a, you know, was able to do it the day he said he wanted it done and then was able to do it and run it at Soundcheck. But that was your that was your baby. That was your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there are lots of times he'll say, hey, we need some transitions, um, so work up something. And there have been a couple of times I've had buddies of mine come over and lay down guitar stuff. Or I'll ask one of our guitarists, mm-hmm. you know, hey, can you send me some files? And... uh so perfect example on seeing red. There's a guitar uh, intro, or the guitar is playing through the intro. Just ba ba da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba, and then you know key change. And it, uh, I had the guy go through, and you know one sh- one pad on my SPDX says da ba da ba. The next one has ba ba da ba. I have the whole intro on four or five different pads yeah so i can play the whole intro and it sound like there's a guitar player going while i'm playing the drum part so i'll just you know there have been a couple of times in our shows where for that intro they wanted the guitars up on these big risers up above me they're eight feet up in the air so before the song starts they have to climb up these ladders there have been a couple of times that the guitarist that plays that part, something happened to his pack, and mm-hmm. the big moment where the intro is supposed to kick in, and there was nothing, and I let it go like two bars to give him a chance to play it, you know, and I went, and then I just started playing it, yeah. save the day, yeah. and it's I never knew that, I just had him do it for fun, I was like... I, my idea was I'll tease the intro. Dustin wanted a big, long, drawn-out intro for it. And I was thinking, well, while they're climbing up, I can give a little da ba da ba and kind of tease it, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, let the crowd simmer a little bit and then maybe do the ba ba da ba the next phrase. While the guys are climbing up, then when I kick off the song, we all come in. Okay. And, uh, 
yeah, it just so happened that like, you know, there have been a couple of times where the guitars weren't working and it's like, okay, well now this is super handy. And there are those situations, man, where you can make yourself super useful if, if you want to take the time to do that. And sure. And that, that's the whole thing is I, I feel like in our show, Dustin likes to change it up so much that it's good to keep things like that on hand just yeah. in case something like that's that cool happens. that he does or, that yeah yeah and yeah. it keeps it fresh for us and you know mm-hmm. makes things interesting you know that's awesome especially man. when things fail <laughs> you know on the track rig or whatever so uh i think we 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 might have mentioned this but tell me about what's coming up for 2017 we've got um florida georgia line okay. um so i'm off until the uh end of january um and then yeah, we start up with Florida George Line. Um, Two big drum sets. Yeah, I think I'm going to win though this year. I think <laughs> yeah. Sean's is smaller than mine. Okay, <laughs> coming out this year, so uh, <laughs> that's going to be funny. Um, and then uh, Paisley, I think oh, is after. Wow. I don't know if I'm actually allowed to say that yet, but yeah, we're <laughs> we're doing. But uh, John Paisley, yeah, John Paisley next year, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Chase Fryant <laughs> but yeah uh, so you know Jake and uh, Ben will be out the second okay. half of the year that's going to be a lot of fun and uh, you know Sean is such a great player yeah too. yeah yeah man and it's going to be a that'll be cool to see yeah it'll be a fun year we're uh, we're really looking forward to you know doing the middle slot you know yeah. it's going to be new for us so and January 5th is your due date. Due date, yeah. So, man, I couldn't have asked, you know, for a a better... Timing. Timing for... Yeah, I mean... Do you know... Have you guys... Do you guys know... Little girl. Little girl? Yeah. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to be awesome. Man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you for Uh, having me. And uh, congratulations on being a dad coming up here. And, and, And your work here, man. Yeah. And your playing. And... Uh, we didn't get into it. We're kind of running short on time, but um, there's lots of great video of you, including your um, Guitar Center drum off. Oh yeah, <laughs> solo which I saw, which you're picking up the hi hat stand and playing the crap oh. <laughs> out of it. That was I've never seen that. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Thanks. I was telling, him, I was like, "Come here, son. Look at this. This is insane." <laughs> He's like, "What am I looking at? What What is this? What is this thing?" Um, so, uh, but listeners, if you don't know Billy, check out these YouTube clips of, of playing. And, um, one of the first times that I saw you, that I starting to get to know you from seeing you on on the road and on TV was the first drummer jam I went to, which was the Neil Peart tribute. Oh, yeah. And I'm such, I grew up such a a hardcore Rush fan that you closed the night with Lavila Strangiato. And I was like, holy crap, I have video on my phone of you. I'm like, I don't really know who this guy is, but he just (laughs) killed it. But dude, and that's online as well. So, um, but that's really cool. But man, thank you so much. And Merry Christmas. Yeah. And and thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. So there's my conversation with Billy. I hope you enjoyed it. He's one of those players that when you see him play live, you're like, uh, what just happened here? I believe strongly that his early exposure to professional players was really important in the development of his drumming. He's an awesome dude, and he's poised to do very well here in Nashville. 
As always, my thanks goes to Mike Jackson for all his technical help. And stay tuned uh, next week for another one of my interviews. We're going to skip Zach next week, and I'm going to bring you one of my interviews. And then Zach comes back. And then we've got the 100th episode, which is a drummer's roundtable of some uh, nut jobs for sure from Nashville. Stay tuned for that. I'm I'm excited to bring that to you. But again, uh, thanks for everyone's input and support. We appreciate you so much, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.